We're going to be in the book of Ephesians. If you would turn there in your Bibles, please. Ephesians chapter 4. Right. Well, it's, it's good to be here with you and uh, glad to gather today as, as the body of Christ, as God's family. Um, Alistair mentioned earlier, but uh, I just want to mention again, if you're, if you're a guest with us today or maybe haven't been here for a while, make sure you come say hi after the service. Or if, if, you're, if you're willing to, I know sometimes it's easy to like just sneak out and, and not be seen for a day, and that's okay too, but we'd love to just connect with you and get to know you and, and uh, serve you however we can serve you. So uh, he did mention also that there's a, a green card, the connection card there, uh, check-in card in the pew rack. You can fill one of those out if you want to and um, give it to us after the service or place it anonymously in the boxes on either side of the sound booth. Uh, there, we'll get those tomorrow. We'd love to just connect with you that way, okay? Um, we're going to start with, with prayer today and just kind of yield our hearts and get our hearts prepared for what the Lord has for us, uh, not only today, but uh, in, from the Word, but today from our worship and our, our time together and what, what we have after uh, gathering and uh, just letting God be Lord over us. So can we stop for a moment and pray? Father, it is um, so good to be here today. And, and God, I, I say that because that's how I feel. And I know sometimes uh, we don't all feel that way. Maybe for some even today, it, it, it's not good to be here. They don't feel good to be here. But God, they're here. And God, you're, you're here. You're, you've promised to meet each one of us, God, where we are, and, and to um, use your spirit and the power of your spirit to conform us into the image of the Son, Jesus, God, to help us to become more and more like Him. So God, that's what I pray. I pray that we would yield ourselves to You today. Quiet our hearts now, God. There's, there's a lot of busyness in our lives, God. There's just a never-ending commotion, it seems. But God, may that not be true now. May it be a time of silence before You. God, a reflection in Your Word God, that our hearts would be open and our minds would be open to receive. God, that our ears would be open to hear what you have to say to us. And God, that we would put our faith in you and God, that we would be righteous who, who walk and live by faith. We trust you for our day. God, we also know there are there's so many things going on in the world. God, as we look to the Middle East right now and, and the conflicts that are going, we um, God, there's reasons that, that well up in us um, to fear. But God, you have given us a reason to not fear. And that is through hope in Christ. We who are the redeemed will have a hope and a future with the one who wins all of these conflicts. God, may we pray. And we do pray today over um, Israel, God. We pray for the conflict uh, in the Gaza Strip. Lord, we pray that, that as people are at war and at battle, we pray for uh, you to be present. God, we pray for people to to see you and, and to be comforted by you. We pray for ultimately people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. God, there's evil all throughout our world, and God, I pray that that evil is seen and rooted out. God, that you would prevail. But God, we know that we prevail through faith in you. So help us in the midst of conflict and wars and uh, tragedy and sorrow and grief and evil to fix our eyes on you, to look up, to know that you are the one who will come and return and set all things and make all things right. Our hope is in you, not in the outcome of a war, 
but in the outcome of the final war where our Lord Jesus wins and rules and reigns. In view of that, God, may we allow you to rule and reign and win in our hearts today. We commit our time to you. We pray in Christ's name. All right, we're in Ephesians 4, and we are starting a new series today, right? Yes, another series. I know you're thinking it's going to be great. Uh, in your sermon notes, you'll see the title of that series is The Family of God, The Family of God. Um, so over the next few weeks, uh, leading up to and around Thanksgiving, we're going to be talking about what is the family of God. And, uh, and today, we start by looking at the family of God and its character, its character, what, what models, uh, it's, what character models the family of God. So one of the things that I'm, I'm very keenly aware of is, is that in our culture today, especially in America, uh, as, as a consumer-driven uh, society, we, we look for how we can get things, right? Where's the best deal? Uh, you know, we get, we get, now we get, if you even look at something on the internet, it, it inundates your every program and every tablet and every phone, every app tells you, hey, you should buy it, you should buy it, here's a deal, I'll give you 10% off or whatever it is. We are, we're in a consumer mentality. It's like, what can I get? And part of that is, what can I get to make me feel good and better, right? And, and church has become no different, right? It's, it seems to be in many places, we come on a Sunday morning thinking I'm going to get something. And, and maybe you come here thinking I'm going to get something, and, and you will, because the Word of God is here. And, and if we sing and preach and pray, you're going to get something. But, but sometimes we come for the wrong motives, right? To get. I want to get, I want to get, instead of I want to belong. I want to be part of. And, and maybe you come, and you're thinking, I don't come to, to get anything. Well, Maybe you come just because you want to sit and occupy a place on Sunday morning thinking that in some way that, that uh, earns favor with God or favor with your parents or favor with your siblings or favor with your loved one. Aren't you then getting something, expecting to get something if you come with that mentality? Absolutely. <clears throat> what we have a harder time, and I, ho I hope not in our church, I believe not in our church, what we have a harder time doing is believing and viewing the, the body of Christ, the church, as the family of God. That this is our family. Now, for some of you, you're like, yeah, this is the greatest family I've ever experienced because I don't have a family. Or my family walked out on me, or my family is so crazy. They are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. They don't have a clue what they're doing. And I have found the only acceptance I've ever found. I've found the only love I've ever found. I've found the only service I've ever found. I've only, I found the only unity I've ever had within the body of Christ. Amen? <clears throat> and that's true whether or not you have a good family or bad family. Jesus says, in fact, that the gospel, when we believe the gospel, that it will separate what? Families. That the, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is you can't have it, you can't get it, you can't earn it, but Jesus did it for you. And if you turn away from trying to get it, trying to have it, trying to earn it, and put your faith and trust in Jesus' finished work, on the cross and through his resurrection, that you would be forgiven of all your sin in spite of you and that you would be given life and newness of life because of the power of his resurrection and not just life today, but eternal life, a hope for a future. And that's what we're given. And, and so we, we resist then as, as believers, we, we resist what would take us away from Jesus. And as that resistance builds, there's a friction that builds as well, Right? And a friction that builds within families, especially if you have a family who there are many unbelievers in. So they, they don't think so. They're going to do their own thing and they're going to continue their ways. And you're like, I'm, I'm at odds with those ways. The gospel puts us at odds with sin and selfishness 
and self-achievement in the world. And what happens? The gospel then divides. It separates. It separates moms and sons. Daughters and dads. Husbands and wives. Fathers. Grandfathers. It divides. Just, just for a show of hand, to be honest, have any of you as believers in Christ ever experienced this kind of friction within familial relationships outside of the body of Christ? Right? And if we're really being honest and really looking intuitively to this, I think we would all say, yeah, there's something. And, and it could be possible, though, that maybe you aren't all in yet. You think, I'm a believer, but I'm not feeling that kind of friction. I don't know. If you're not feeling a friction against the world, you may not have properly believed the gospel. But the, here's the beauty, is when we believe the gospel, God's not like, I gave you this responsibility now, go sit in church and listen to someone talk. That's not what he says. He says, you believed the gospel, and now I have given you a new family. I hope you get to have your old one too. I, get, I hope they turn to Jesus Christ, and you see the fruit of that in their, their lives and in, within your blood family, but but for us who come and gather and meet on, on a Sunday morning and anytime in between and anywhere we are, we are God's family. And what we do and how we behave and how we interact with each, with each other should resemble that of a loving family united around a loving Heavenly Father. Amen? So that's what this is about. So part of this series is, is to help us all gain a better perspective on what is the family of God. And, and as we do that, you might be thinking like, what, well, I might be missing something, right? I don't experience it that way. Maybe, how, can I, how can I see that better? Or how can I experience it in that way? And I want you to have those conversations. I want you to ask those questions throughout the weeks and come up with some things about what it may look, might look like for you. But today, and, and then what it looks like for us, it's kind of a two, both and, right? What does it look like for us? And what does it look like for us individually? Because we all, as individuals, contribute to the health and well-being of this family. So what is the family of God, and what role or part do I play within it? That's what we're going to look at throughout these weeks. Today, we are looking at our first sermon. It's the character. The character that should be seen within the family of God. If we're in Ephesians 4, if you uh, look there with me, we're going to read verses 1 through 16. This, these, uh, this is the passage that we will cover Uh, throughout the entire series. I'm going to read it all in its entirety today to get us started. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling that you have received with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, making, uh, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and and through all and in all. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself, the ascended one, right? The great one. He himself gave some to be apostles and prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers 
equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into Him who is the head, Christ. From Him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building, uh, building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. The Word of God. As we look at this today, we're not going to look at over the entire text, just the first couple of verses. And that's, that's where we want to start when we look at the church's character. What is the family of God's character supposed to resemble? Uh, as, before I get to the first point, I want us to, to look at, well, I'll, I'll read it. It's in Philippians 1. It's a similar thing that, that Paul said to the Ephesian church. He said to Philippi, he says this, just one thing. Remember that I've said this before, right? Remember the old show Columbo. He, he, the guy thought he got away with it, and Columbo was starting to walk away. And what did he do? Just one thing. Because he knew that this next one thing was the most important. I think Paul, I think, well, Columbo had to get it from Paul. Paul couldn't have got it from Columbo. But here's what Paul says. Just one thing. That should make us think about this. As citizens of heaven. Now, what does that imply? That, that as citizens of heaven, that means we are part of the family of God. So as the family of God, who are citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's probably very important for us to find out what living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ means if it's so important for the family of God to do. Amen? It says, then, whether I come, or, uh, come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are what? You're standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Listen, the family of God is to be a team, a family and a team that is, that is contending together for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would make it every effort to say, how can I use what God has gifted me in to be a part of the family and to add to the contention for the gospel and the, and the faith? So let's look at this character. You'll see it in your sermon notes. I have four points that go along with character. They come right out of verse 2 of Ephesians 4. Uh, if we look at the character of the family of God, number one, we see humility. We see humility. We, we have to start here, folks. Because the opposite of humility, which is pride, is so prevalent among us. There's a few aspects of humility that, that need to stand out. One is this. Uh, humility is becoming aware of our own unworthiness. Becoming aware of our own unworthiness. If, if you want to, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit, right? Or uh, not the fruit of the Spirit, the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus says a few things here that, that show the picture of true humility. Humility is becoming aware of our own unworthiness. Now, I will argue in a minute that it, it, we take that too far. It leads again to pride or, or too much shame. Humility is becoming aware of our own unworthiness. Matthew 5. 3 through 5. Jesus says, Blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. Right? The poor in spirit are those who understand and are aware of their unworthiness. And what does he go on to say? It says, For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Well, that, that's promising. 
Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. That's, that's humility again, right? We're mourning. We're mourning over the depth of our sin and the depth of our, our separation from God, our lostness. We see full on that we are in no way able to stand before God on our own. So we understand and are aware of our unworthiness, but it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Isn't that what we long for when we mourn? Verse 5, blessed are the humble. Here's the humble here, or meek, right? The humble. They will inherit the earth. Some amazing promises here, but it starts with this humility, becoming aware of our own unworthiness. So humility is becoming aware of our own unworthiness, and though it is also knowing who we are and whose we are through faith in Christ. If you don't have faith in Christ, then you aren't in Christ, and you don't, you don't have a Lord and Savior who has rescued you. All you have is unworthiness. But when you come to Christ in, in humble, repentant faith, trusting in what He has done, letting Him be your everything, that humility that said, I am poor in spirit, I am, I am mourning, I am empty and worthless without Jesus, but Jesus is everything. And through Christ, the kingdom of heaven is mine, and I will be comforted, and I will inherit the earth. You see the juxtaposition there. Through faith in Christ, there's these two opposites that are at work in humility together. And, and although we're humbled because of our unworthiness, we are then confident now because of who Christ is and that we are now His. We're not confident in our own self. We're confident in the Lord and what He has done and that we are now new creations that He has made us to be. Interestingly enough, though, who we are in Christ should be sufficient. But instead, we feel low and we put that out of our mind. And, and in order to feel better about ourselves, we try to make those around us feel low as well. If I have to be humble, you're going to have to be humble too. This is not how it works. It's easy to be confused about humility. We think, oh, I'm, I'm so humble, I'm lowly, and I'm just going to stay that way and don't think of anything, anything great or anything that's a blessing. I'm just just low. Woe is me. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. Anyone read that ever? A couple of you, it's awesome. I'd recommend it. Very illuminating to my own heart. So the Screwtape Letters are this senior demon. Screwtape is writing, um, uh, or, or he's speaking to his, his I think it's nephew. It's, it's a, a younger, lesser demon. He's trying to train this demon in how to, how to, how to tempt his, his patient, his person, right? So this is what he says in the screw tape letters. And I love this. Uh, Focus on the Family came out with a, a dramatic portrayal, a reading of this. Um, Andy Serkis, who played Gollum or Smeagol in The Lord of the Rings, okay, that voice, if you catch that, um, he, he plays screw tape in the screw tape letters. So it's, it's really fun, really eerie. I won't try to do that, but here's, here's what he says. I quote from the book. He says this, your patient has become humble. Have you drawn his attention to the fact? Catch him at the moment when he is really poor in spirit, spirit and smuggle in to his mind the gratifying reflection, by Jove, I've become humble. And almost immediately, pride. Pride at his own humility will appear. If he awakes to the danger and tries to smother this new form of pride, make him proud for his attempt, and so on, through as many stages as you please. 
But don't try this for too long. For fear you awake his sense of humor and proportion, in which case he will merely laugh at you and go to bed. I hope that as Satan tempts us, we we become humble and we say, I'm going to be lowly in spirit and know that Christ is my everything and, and in him I have everything I need. But if I'm lowly in spirit and I'm humble and I just stay there without this confidence in Christ and my confidence in Christ wanes, Satan comes in and says, but you're so humble. You should take pride in that. And what he begins to tempt us to do is what? Elevate our self. But what confidence in Christ does, even while you're humble, it, it wakes up and hears the temptation and laughs at the devil. <laughs> you're funny. I am lowly, but Jesus is everything. I will not try to become everything. You and I need to do less self-exalting and more laughing at the devil and his attempts to make us prideful. Be on guard for that. So humility is an awareness of our, of our unworthiness or our lowliness, but humility is also an awareness of Christ's humility. And that Christ's humility is what has accomplished the fact that we can be confident, not in ourselves, but in Him. Paul writes in Philippians, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. You should not only look out for your own interest, but rather the interest of others. The model goes on. He says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Right? He had no pride that welled up in him, although he's God and could have. Instead, Jesus emptied himself. This is humility. He emptied himself by assuming, uh, by assuming the form of a servant. He's a, he's a bondservant, a slave to, to God the Father. Because I'm going to do what his will is for my life. So that's when we empty ourselves in humility. We take on the form of I'm going to serve and consider others as more important than myself. He took on likeness of humanity. And when he come as a man, he humbled himself. What did he do? How did he serve? By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the model that we have in Scripture of humility. It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So we're very aware of our lowliness and our unworthiness. And then we see this amazing humility modeled by the one and only Jesus Christ. And that model is to say, you should follow me and humble yourselves and consider others as more important than yourselves. Don't do things out of selfish ambition or conceit, but consider others as more important. Lay your life down for them as well. That's the humility Christ wants us to have. And why can we do that? Because His humility and what He showed through this obedience to the cross gave us everything we could ever hope for or need. And all we need now is Him and to be imitators of Him. Humility is, again, the awareness of Christ's humility and then to follow His example. And as we do that, humility has to be then also of ridding ourselves of sin and divisive pride while we receive the Word of God into our heart. James writes this, he says, Therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and evil that's so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Listen, Satan doesn't stand a chance if we would humbly receive the word of God and continue to let it soak into our hearts and hide his word in our heart that we might not sin against God. 
when he comes and tempts us and says, you should be proud of how, how humble you are, you just laugh. No, I, I shouldn't. I'm a servant of all. Now, the Lord Jesus, he's great. Have you heard of him? That's the conversation we should have with the devil. 1 John 2. This is how we know that we love him. So I, I, we're going to start seeing what it looks like to not be humble here, right? We've seen moral filth. We've seen uh, evil that's prevalent. We've seen selfish ambition. That's not humility. This is how we know that we love him if we keep his commandments. So it's not, listen, now you're a, a Christian and now you have to follow these rules because we're an organization and, and make sure your butt is in the seat every Sunday at a certain time. That's, that's not the family of God. The family of God is made up of people who have, have fallen in love with Jesus and he's loved them so much that he saved them by his grace through faith in him. And as we come together, we, we come to say, I, in response to that amazing love, I'm going to love your commandments. I'm going to love what you want and do what you want. So the one who says, I have come to know him, but does not keep his commandments, Scripture says, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. If that's you today, if you're a liar, you can repent of that lie and turn to real faith in Jesus who loves you and gave himself on the cross for you. And you can become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and be made new. You have to come to him in humility, saying that he's more important, he's better. Humility and, and reception of God's word changes also how we treat other people doesn't it that's why humility and god's word are so closely linked if i really want to be humble i have to receive god's word and then treat people the way god's word tells me to treat them first john he goes on to say whoever keeps his word truly in him the love of god is made complete and says no one who hates his brother or sister uh, sorry, uh the, but the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness walks in darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Humility does not hate our brother or sister. Humility loves our brother or sister. But if you're walking in hate, if you're walking in selfish ambition, if you're walking in evil and filth, you're not showing humility and you do not possess the love of God. Humility says, I'm going to humble myself. I see my unworthiness. I see Christ's worthiness. And I see how amazing his word is. As we do that, this kind of humility reveals that that God is the king. That God is the boss of my life. He is the Lord of all. Isaiah 2 says this, The pride of mankind will be humbled. All and human loftiness will be brought low, for the Lord alone will be exalted on that day. You might think you're hot stuff, but on that day you will be nothing. He is hot stuff. He is Lord of all. For a day belonging to the Lord of armies is coming against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up. It will be humbled. I, I, want, I want to find myself having already been humbled and in a humble place that, that, that says, I, I know I'm unworthy, but Christ is so worthy. So I am going to follow him. If we are the family of God, the first part of its character is to humble yourself. Humble yourself. The second one, number two, we see in the scripture, it's gentle. It's to be gentle, right? Back to Ephesians 4, it says, uh, with all humility, we discovered that, and with gentleness is how we're walking worthy of the calling we have received. Paul continues this theme in many of his epistles, and we see this in Colossians 3. It says, therefore, as God's chosen ones. Who is that? That's the church, right? That's his church, his bride. It's the body, the family of Christ. 
as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if any has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, put on love, which is in, perfect, in, in the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. And Paul is just sending the message, isn't he? Like this is about bearing with one another, loving one another, being kind and compassionate, considerate and gentle with one another, bearing with one another. Think about gentleness. It comes along with the word meek. We think about meekness, like, I don't know. Like, like meek is kind of what? It's passive, and it's like you're going to get walked all over. But the meaning of the Greek word for gentleness has nothing to do with this kind of weakness or with an, an indifference or a cowardness. This kind of gentleness isn't like, I just, I'm just going to not say anything and not, not ruffle any feathers. I'm going to just hide in the corner. That's not what this gentleness is about. It's referring to someone who is mild-spirited and self-controlled. Mild-spirited and self-controlled. It's, it's one that is the opposite of, of aggressive and vindictive and vengeful. Or someone that's really quick to point out how many flaws you have and how bad you are and how wrong you are. The same word, gentle or meekness there, is, is used of wild animals that were tamed. Think of a horse, right? Before a horse is broke, it's crazy and it's so, so powerful, right? Does the horse become less powerful as it is broke? Not at all. The animal still has great strength and spirit, but its will is under the control of its master. That's who we're called to be, is gentle. Someone who may have power, may have, may have passion, may have even righteous indignation over things, but that is at bare underneath the will of our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be gentle, be self-controlled. Proverbs 16 says, Patience is better than power, and controlling one's emotion better than capturing a city. Controlling one's emotion. How, how good are you at being gentle? How good are you at controlling your emotions? James says this, My dear brothers and sisters, Understand this, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. Be quick to control your emotions. Be quick to, to gentleness. Why? He goes on and says, for human anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. It, it's interesting to think about that. It's that, that human anger and God's righteousness are shown here opposed to one another. Because how often do we go on this mission, this tirade saying, I'm angry and I know God's angry too. He's championing my side. And James says, if you're angry, it's probably not godly anger. Because man's anger, especially if it was not quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, man's anger is not God's righteousness. It's not. And we think we're on this righteous cause. I, I've got a mission from God to be angry. He says, be gentle. 
The characteristic of the family of God is to be humble and to be gentle. All of us, every single one of us, I would believe, need to be better at being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Human anger is about self-righteousness, and it does not accomplish God's agenda. It only accomplishes its own agenda. Are you gentle? Well, here are some ways to be gentle. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy. He says this, flee. Flee. What does it mean to flee? Run away. Turn around and just go the opposite direction. Flee from, here are some things to think about. Flee from youthful passions. More and more, hopefully, as we get older, we get more tempered, but I think there's times where, as we get older, you, you kind of talk more quickly. Like, I'm just going to say what I, what's on my heart. I, I've earned it. Ah, you're earning something else, too. We need to be quick to listen, slow to speak. And as we get older, slower, because we should flee from youthful passions. Those are youthful passions. He says, flee from youthful passions, and then pursue. I love how this is. Go- it says, if you want to flee, it's not just turn away and run away. When you turn and flee, you go towards something else. Flee from youthful passions. Pursue righteousness. Actual righteousness. Faith. Love. Peace. And to do it along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. That's the family of God. Satan loves it when we're alone. He loves it when we get angry when we're alone. Because when we act in anger all by ourselves, he's got us. He also loves that if we make a good choice and flee, if we just run to isolation. Because now we, he can make us dwell on that and mull over that and think about our next time we're going to talk. Or, I mean, I, you see, go run to someone you can trust. Share and let them bear that burden with you as the family of God so that you can come out of it gentle. Gentle and self-controlled. He says, reject. So we're fleeing and we're pursuing. Now we're rejecting. Rejecting foolish and ignorant disputes. If you are to be gentle, you will not be involved in foolish and ignorant disputes. They breed quarrels. So if you're breeding quarrels, or if you're involved in foolish or ignorant disputes, you're not gentle. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone. Gentleness does not breed quarrels, does not not take part in re- rejecting or uh, in, fo- in foolish and ignorant disputes. Instead, it's gentle, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. What, what does gentleness do? Perhaps it says God will grant them, his opponents, repentance, leading to them to the knowledge of the truth. Have you ever won somebody over by being angry and mad and vengeful towards them? Never. You think about this in debates. I mean, if we have a position and we're going to fight for it and we're going to get angry over it, we are going to entrench ourselves in that position, aren't we? And if someone's entrenched in a position, it, how great is it to just be angry at them and yell at them? It really makes them feel like they should abandon their position, right? Not at all. No one wants that. No one will do that. How do we win people over? By being gentle with them. I've had so many conversations over the years that have been, been went poorly, right? Where I got a little heated, I got a little more passionate than I should have, and, and that person wanted nothing more to do with the conversation and probably nothing more to do with, with talking to me at least about faith. And over the years, I've learned, like, I just, I need to, I need to be gentle. 
I, I don't need to prove a point. I just, I need to love them. I need to be gentle with them and, and try to think before I talk and, and do a lot more listening. And even if they don't agree at the end of the day, it's amazing that, that what that gentleness has caused. They may go to somebody that, that I recommended or they, they may come back a few weeks later and, and desire a conversation. Hey, I, I, I know we don't agree, but you were gentle or you, you were kind and I, I want to I ask you something else. Okay, come on over, let's talk. Ultimately, it's the Lord that's doing a work in them, but I don't want to get in the way of that. I want to be gentle. First uh, Peter says similar thing, but set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to, to make a defense to everyone who asked you to give an account for the hope that's within you. Okay, it's like, uh, it's my marching orders. I'm in, I'm in an army. I'm a military man now, right? I am ready to go. My gun is loaded. Let's go to work. But then he qualifies how we are to do that. We're to be ready to share and give an account, but he says do this with gentleness and fear or respect. Gentleness. Is, are your conversations, can, they be, can, they be, can it be said about them that they are marked with gentleness and respect with other people? If you and I cannot quite get over our anger or our disputes, how can we expect others to do it as well? There's an old saying, I don't know where it came from. I say it often to the children at our, our school campus when there's a little dispute, or to my children. I say, you know what, it's nice to be nice. It's nice to be nice. And, and, and here's why. It is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Amen? Be gentle. Be kind. Number three, be patient. Be patient. Patience is also called long-suffering. What, what does that give you the idea of what's going to happen? You're going to suffer for a long time. Be patient. Long-suffering. Uh, there's a couple verses I want to read, and then I want to read a story. Uh, in Hebrews, it says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Every right to be, he was Pharaoh's Pharaoh's kin. But what did, he, what did he want to do instead? It says that he chose rather to be mistreated or endure mistreatment with the people of God rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. It was a decision. He said, I'm, I'm going to suffer long for doing what is right. It says he endured as seeing him who is unseen. How can we endure? We we know that Jesus endured, and we know that He is with us, and that He will win in the end. We can have patience. And we know that there is a reward in patience. Not impatience, right? There's a, a reward as we suffer a long time. How, there's so many opportunities in our lives as we are patient with people, and we're patient with someone in a relationship. I have seen some long-suffering husbands and wives. Oh, my goodness. I mean, we, we, we want marriage. We think it's, next to Jesus, it's your greatest, greatest relationship. I have seen some, some women who have stuck with their man long after I was like, what are you doing? I have seen, I have seen some men stick with their wives long after, by every biblical account, they, should have, they could have been gone. Not should have, they could have been gone. And, and you know what, what happened in most of those cases? Reconciliation restoration, and hope. 
What is the reward of long-suffering? Well, it's re- rewarded relationally. It's also related, re- rewarded spiritually. How many parents have prayed for their children and prayed for their children and prayed for their children? Long-suffering night after long-suffering night, praying maybe for their safety, but praying for their soul, that they would know Jesus and love Jesus and that He would transform their heart and they would be found made new in Him. How many have we, have we prayed for our family or friends for that? Or, or there might be years, decades of prayer for that. Patiently calling on God and then finally being able to see the fruit of that. When that person, by God's grace, puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. We see that this patience ultimately is for the glory of God. That God would be revealed. That His His plan would go forward. That His sovereignty would be there. Paul writes in Thessalonians, he says, "I, I urge you, brothers, admonish the unruly Encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Let's just say it again. Be patient with everyone. This means the unruly, the faint-hearted, and the weak. How's your patience? How many times? I mean, we're, we're impatient as we drive from point A to point B. Right? We're impatient in the, in the donut line. We're impatient everywhere we go. We're impatient with stupidity. We see something like, are you, are you joking? You did that? We're, we're impatient with bad drivers. We're impatient with our children who we have to say things to 3,522 times. Counting. Shouldn't be counting. We're impatient. Impatience does not breed humility. does not breed gentleness and kindness. Impatience is pride. Patience comes from selfishness. I want to read a story to you that a, a theologian shared. He's talking about a, a church split. It was so serious that, that each side filed a, loss, a lawsuit against the other side. That's how serious it was. And and, and they were completely disregarding biblical authority to not file that lawsuit. And finally, the, the court sent it down and said, we're not going to hear this. And so the civil courts threw it out. And then a higher um, like, like church court took it on. I didn't even know they existed. But they, they decided they'd hear the case. And the, the higher judiciary uh, church, uh, court of the church made its decision and awarded the church property to one of the two sides. I mean, that's, that's what happens, right? The losers withdrew and formed another church in the area. That's a real healthy church start. They started a new church in the area. In the course of the proceedings, the church courts found out that the conflict had begun at a church dinner when an elder received a smaller slice of ham than the child sitting next to him. Unbelievable. It happens. That's where it starts. The root of the uh, the root of this impasse or this split was the absence of patience and, and humility and gentleness and kindness. May that not be said of us. Eat the ham you're given. And our church, go back for seconds. Plenty of food. 
Number, <laughs> number four, our final thing. What, what is the character of the church? We've seen humility. Right? Is that, does that mark you? We've seen gentleness. Are you gentle? Are you controlled in your emotions? Or, or do you just spout off whatever you want? Are you patient? Do you suffer long? Knowing there's a reward in that. That's relationally a reward. That's, that's spiritually a reward under the glory of God to be seen. Finally, the last area is love. And, and there's plenty of other characteristics that we can see in the church, but that's what we see today in Ephesians 4. Love. Love. And, and love can be its very own sermon series that could last all year long and probably all the rest of our life. Because when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest command, what did he say? Love God and love your neighbor. I want to bring this in just a thought. I, this uh, last week, not this week, um, two weeks ago, I guess. We, we, in one of our Bible studies, we're talking about loving our neighbor. And we're talking about in our family-driven faith class on Wednesday nights. And it's interesting, we think, oh, I love my neighbor. Okay, you're very, oh, I gotta be outwardly focused. I'm gonna love my neighbor. My neighbor is the person down the street or maybe it's my coworker. But who in reality is your closest neighbor? You're there, don't answer. What is it? What? Not always. People under your roof, right? And if there's no one under your roof, the people next door. It's so weird, right? We, we think, i got to love God and love my neighbor, and we sidestep, for many of us who are married, our spouse. And we sidestep, for many, who, many of us who have children, our children. And we sidestep, if you are children, teenagers, in a house, you sidestep loving God and then loving your parents or your siblings, your closest neighbor. And then after that, who is the closest neighbor? Well, it's probably the proximity, but, but really God has given us one another as the family of God, that we are to love God and love our closest neighbor, which is mostly under our roof, and then our church family, and then the world around us. Do not, please, do not sidestep your immediate family under your household. Learn how to love them the best you know how, because God has commanded that. Peter said this, since you have, since you have in obedience to the truth, purified your souls that's a, that's kind of assuming a lot right that we were obedient to the truth we were obedient to believe the gospel and jesus christ has forgiven us of our sin and we are washed clean and are, we're purified and what are we purified for he says you've done this for a love of the brothers without hypocrisy we can love now without hypocrisy why because the same sin that we were saved from and, and forgiven of is the same sin that they were saved of and forgiven of i didn't get more forgiveness and they didn't get more forgiveness we're all forgiven who are in Christ Jesus. So we can love without hypocrisy. And he says, fervently, fervently love one another from the heart. We have to start from the from, right? Where is it from? The heart. That I, I actually have a desire deep within me because of what Christ has done for me to love you. Scripture actually says that, that I owe it to God to love you. You owe it to God to love me. We're owed that from the heart that we would do that. And it says, how? Where, where is from the heart? How? Fervently. Fervently. What does that mean? What's that? Boiling. Boiling. 
that rolling boil, I, I boiled pasta last night, and as it boiled, you know, it's on high because you want to get really a boil. You can turn it down to almost a simmer, by the way, and it can still boil. You leave it on too high, what's happening? It's fervently spilling all over the stove. That's how our love should be for one another. Boiling over at every chance it gets with fer ferocity, right? With, with, with a, 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 a just compelling, compelling passion. Fervently from the heart. It has to be real. If it's not, the question would be, is your faith real? It goes on in Peter, 1 Peter 2. Says, Act as free people. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as slaves of God or servants of Christ. Honor all people. Love the brethren. Fear God and honor the king. Again, loving the brethren. Loving one another. In chapter 4, he says, above all. Again, one more thing. Above all. Keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of If your love isn't helping people get their sins forgiven and deal with their sin and covering their sins with compassion, if your love isn't that, then it's not love. If, all, if your love is it's loving to point out how bad people are being. Well, yeah, I, we need to know that we're sinful and separated from God because of our sin. But we need to know the love of God that is in Christ Jesus said, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. That's how much He loves you. Not passive or permissive, but it is not dismissive of other people because of their errors. Finally, we see John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus says this, I give you a new command. A new command. Love one another. Then he shows how. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. It's amazing. It's not just a call to love one another. It's a call to see how Christ has loved us and to make that the model of love towards others and and as we do that remember love god love others right and the others start with our own household and then our family of god because as we love so well there the bible says jesus says by this love the way you love one another fervently from the heart the way i have loved you sacrificially by this everyone else will know that you are my disciples. The world is watching the family of God. And what we want the world to see is how loved we are by God and how much we love one another the way God has loved us. That we have compassion for one another. That we are humble with one another. That we are gentle and kind with one another. That we are suffering long with one another. We are patient. And that we have genuine love one another so if people looked at your own life your own individual life if people looked at your life and how it relates to the family of god would they see love like jesus is pretty personal isn't it pretty convicting for me i do believe that 
for the most part, this community looks at this family of God and sees great love for one another. And they are drawn to Jesus because of that. We, I, I hear it all the time of how amazing you are. I want you to know that. Do we have work to do? Of course. We can do better. And individually, we have to be asking ourselves, if they were to look at my love for my brothers and sisters, what would it say about Christ and his love for us? So let's grow in our affections for one another as the body of Christ. Let's grow in this character that God has given us as a model, and let's model that to the world around us. First, to our family, and then to the world, so they would see how beautiful and amazing our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and let our worship team come back up. We're going to pray and go into some responsive time of, of worship together. Father in heaven, we are so grateful to be called your children. God, if we have come to repentant faith in Jesus Christ, we are yours. God, as we have looked today at, at the family of God, it is, it is a great blessing that you have given us one another as a means of grace. But God, we ask now that as we've looked at the character of this family, God, that we would look internally, individually at each one of our hearts. God, knowing that, that there's, there's room for work, God, in, in our humility. God, may we be humble and, and know how lowly we are and unworthy we are, but God, but we, may we see in our humility how worthy you are, and that we are confident because of Christ, not because of ourselves. God, may we be gentle in our words and our actions and in the way that we are, treat one another. May we be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger, that our emotions wouldn't be out of control, that we wouldn't just spout off. God, we, we desire to be patient as well. I don't even know if I can say it. I desire to be patient. But God, I, I want you to make me patient. Help me be better at that. Help me suffer long because it reveals you, because it heals relationships. It leads people to the glory of Christ and to salvation in Christ. God, help us love deeply from the heart, fervently, passionately boiling over to those around us. We thank you. We praise you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's sing together.